if you don't understand your earnest money paradigm, you don't understand the energetic imprint, you are chasing your tail. You're literally stuck in the boom and bust cycle. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F Word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. Welcome back to the most hated F word podcast. I am glad you're back for another week with another fascinating conversation. Today, our guest is Gal Khan. Before we get into the show, I want to ask you a favor. Please head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, share episode with your friend, colleague, whomever you think might enjoy these fascinating conversations. So who's Gal? Well, Gal is an international speaker, podcaster, barrister, lawyer with the New York Bar Association, a solicitor, an intuitive life coach, an EFT expert, an energy healer, and a money mindset expert, and a mother. Yes, Gull has a lot of different hats that she wears, and during this conversation, you will sense her excitement for life, her excitement for the work that she's doing. Gull's energy levels are contagious, I'll say. During our conversation, I found myself being filled up with energy as she spoke and told her story. A lot of what Gull does right now is she helps people become experts on their own money mindsets. We go into Gull's history coming from an immigrant family and how that shaped her mindset around money and how she, along with many other people, often repeat the mindsets of her families. But Gull talks a lot about what we can do to break that cycle or alter that cycle if we want different financial outcomes for ourselves. And now, Gull helps entrepreneurs and business owners reach their full potential by using these techniques that she's trained in, such as energy clearing, removing unseen energy blocks, and helping clients develop and build and create money mindsets that allow them to flourish. During this conversation, as I mentioned, we go into Gull's family story and how it impacted her and what she had to do to make the necessary changes for her life. We also talk about Gull's idea of creating a financial avatar, which I thought was brilliant. She really talks about how this can help us all develop and create a flourishing money relationship with ourselves. I hope you enjoy this conversation with money mindset expert, energy healer, intuitive life coach, Gull Khan. Gull, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited as well. We had a little conversation prior to recording and I, despite you're across the Atlantic Ocean, I could feel your energy just exuding through my mic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I do bounce off the walls quite a bit. <laughs> I had a chance to review some of your podcasts or, or listen to some of your podcasts, review your work and went through your book with quite detail. And I think as your title suggests as a money expert, I thought we would start with your story and your evolution to where you are today. And in your book, The Law of Money, How to Use the Seven Spiritual Laws for Wealth and Success, you speak a fair bit about loss in the intro. 
I want to start with Lost. What significance, if anything at all, did or has Lost played on influencing your money story? In the intro, you talked a lot about how that trauma or that loss fueled you to maybe achieve quite a few things too. <laughs> it has um, a number of roles. I mean, I would say my whole life has has unfolded it in a man- most magnificent way possible. I, I say everything I've learned and everything I've been through was the universe's way of showing me what I need to work on. And everything happened for me, not to me. So that's one of the most empowering things that I think anyone can take away from today's podcast is the universe is working for you, not against you. And everything that happens to you, if not happening to you, is happening for you. Even those things which you think, are, which, which you perceive or people will perceive as, as bad incidents or traumas and so forth. And there are a number of things that come up for my own story. So as we were talking just before we press record, I was talking about how one of the major things that I talk about is earliest money paradigm. You know, you, you have this energetic imprint from your, for, um, as a child from your primary caregivers. But the reason why I became so engrossed in that and why I became so aware of that was because I manifested my mother's exact life. Now, if I sort of compare the two, my mother was an immigrant from Pakistan. She was a, an educated woman, a math professor in Pakistan, but came here, but she, you know, she struggled with the language barrier and she wasn't able to give us the kind of lifestyle that she would have enjoyed. And anyway, there was a lot of trauma. She came from an abusive marriage, so she was very traumatized. In my life, and I'm, I'm giving the example of, you know, this is an immigrant woman who doesn't know the language. She's in a foreign land and she, she's barely making ends meet and she's working on, you know, doing manual work, or work, you know, doing machine work. There used to be a lot of, before China took over, there used to be a lot of, you know, work, machine work, the women that they used to do in, you know, in their homes or in factories. Compare that to a woman, myself, who is an educated lawyer in at that time, it was two jurisdictions, not three. And no, it makes, by the time it happened, it was three jurisdictions. So an educated lawyer, a qualified in three jurisdictions, all of them in the most prominent worlds, you know, UK and US alike, right? You just wouldn't imagine that she would be in the situation that I was, who became a self-made millionaire at the age of 27, had traveled the world, had self-educated because her parent, mom, the only parent I knew, my mom died at 21. I finished my, I completed my education, so did everything was used to earning uh, multiple six figures as a corporate employee, but I did earn high income and so forth. That same woman would manifest her mother's exact life and the similarities are uncanny. So if I, if I run through the similarities with you, it will shock you. My mother left my father. My father was a multi-multimillion. He'd be billionaire today, Stan. He was really, really rich. She left him because he remarried. Basically in Islam, Muslim men are allowed to have more than one wife. Now, that's true, and most people are aware of that. They're also, people don't realize, Islam gives a woman the choice. If she doesn't accept the first wife, the second wife, she can leave her husband. So she can say, bye-bye, I'm leaving. So my mother left my father because she didn't agree to the second wife. This happened, and the woman who my father um, well, cheated on, remarried, was 16 years younger than my mother. My ex-husband cheated on me. Now, the woman he cheated on me was 16 years younger than me. Secondly, my mother was in mid-30s. I was in my mid-30s. My father played the financial card. He was coercing her to stay. My ex-husband, who was here at that time, was you know, financially, I wouldn't say the millionaire, but he was financially very well. We were well off. But he had his uh, businesses set up in a way that I could not access his money. And he too played the financial card because he wanted to both keep me and to keep his, you know, his 19 year old at the time. He wanted to keep her as well. So it's unfathomable that a woman from here would be putting out with that, that kind of rubbish. But, uh, you know, this is what he expected me to put out with. But look at the similarities. Then 
My mother had two children. I was the younger one, she, one five-year-old, one seven-year-old. I had two children, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. My son was five at the time. Again, my mother came here. She ended up living in, in a council state, one of the poorest parts of London and so forth. I, at that time, when I left him, had no financial recourse. Everything was gone. I was living in one of the poorest parts of London at that time in a two-bedroom house. And I was because of my the divorce and other things and situations, I couldn't even get recourse to welfare. I was trying to get welfare. Even my mother got welfare. I wasn't even entitled to welfare because I was perceived to be wealthy, on paper at least. You know, think about it. A woman who has achieved all these things, yet created a life where she became a single mother with two young children, struggling with time and money and trying to live off welfare. Can you imagine the kind of power is required to manifest that for someone like that? It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. I hadn't pictured the, I hadn't put the pieces together until, because I was too close to the situation. My aunt actually said to me, your mother must, I mean, she must have turned in her grave, you know, listening to my situation. I said, yeah, she must be really upset that this happened to me. She goes, no, 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 you don't understand. History has repeated itself. The exact same thing has happened to you, which happened to your mother. And that's when my jaw dropped. I was always, obviously I'd been trained. I was already aware of, um, you know, your ultimate paradigm and this energetic imprint. I had not, I'd not realized how much of an impact it had on my life. And that's when I became empowered. I realized, oh my goodness, if I can manifest this, if I've created this, imagine what else I can create. Imagine the power, the, the, the kind of things, the things that, you know, situations and circumstances that needed to come into play in order for a lawyer to go to become a, a single mother living on welfare in a really poor part of London. And the same lawyer who's used to earning multiple, at least in, the, in, in dollar amount, multiple six figures, who's worked for likes of Shell, Scandin Arps, White and Case, one of the top law firms across the globe, let alone just London. That was empowering journey. And this is why I think that's one part of my story, which allowed me to serve my clients better now. Because I understand when people come to me, I understand why they're stuck where they are. If you don't understand your earnest money paradigm, you don't understand the energetic imprint, you are chasing your tail. You're literally stuck in a boom and bust cycle. You create money, then you lose money. Exactly what I was doing. I was able to create money at the age of 27, but then by the time I had the snapback from, you know, because there's something I call snapback, you are able to move away from your earliest marriage paradigm in your 20s, but come late 20s to learn early 40s, at some point in between late 20s and early 40s, you have what's called a snapback. You're pulled back into your earliest marriage paradigm and you begin to live a life which is very similar to that of your parents when you were growing up. And this is what you need to work on. So this was another one, one, of, one of the things that came out of my story. But yes, the motivation to succeed and why I wanted to be rich and why I want to be successful, that came from my father to prove to him, I didn't need you, dude. I can do it myself and I can be just as rich as you. So again, the drive comes from my dad, but the teaching what I've learned has come from my own experience of recreating my mother's life on life. So that's, um, <laughs> that's the reason why. Well, thank you so much. So much context there in your story and I, and I appreciate it. And I, I get the sense when I was reading your book and just hearing about your story there, two things I want to talk on. First is in your intro, you talk about how your father, when, when you guys moved to the UK, he stayed back. You want to drive to succeed and you kind of just touched on that to, to kind of show him that you could do it. And, and for most of us as humans, we want to be seen and heard and validated. Yeah. And yeah. it seems like that was driving you for a while. And when you started to put, to use your words, you put the pieces of the puzzle together to see that you were repeating your mother's patterns. That, that awareness, I think, is, is profound and difficult because often that generational 
trauma or the generational stories are hard to break. Was there a point in that recognition that you started to to see yourself or hear yourself or what allowed you to stop pursuing recognition and validation from other people and just to see yourself to now change your story? I found myself in this scenario where I was literally struggling to feed my children. Up until that point, I was literally going for that recognition. I wanted to be seen by my father. I wanted him to see that I am, you know, I am his daughter and I don't need him and I can succeed without him and so forth. And, I, and my goal was always to make more money than him. So that was basically a, a way to prove myself. That all changed when I found myself in this situation and I became aware of the fact that I was reliving my mother's life. And that's when it caused me to look within and see, okay, what energetic imprints am I holding? What am I doing? And so this is where I had to go back and rewrite my story with my mother, rewrite my story with my father. And it's only after I worked on my energetic relationship with my father, which by the way, I still wasn't talking too much. And so it's when I rewrote that story and worked on myself that I realized I want to succeed for myself, not to prove to my father anymore. There's no longer the need to prove to him that I'm worthy of his love or I, you know, I'm really good. I'm really amazing. I'm amazing just because I am who I am. And I want to succeed because I want to give my children the best life possible. So my ambitions didn't change. My determination didn't change, but my motivation did. Instead of proving it for him, I was doing it for my kids. And funny enough, that motivation was a lot more powerful. So when you have a stronger why, which for me with my children, that made my determination, you know, 10x. It wasn't to get love anymore. It was to provide a safe and a comfortable life for my children, which is a lot more motivating than trying to get love from your, you know, one of your parents. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I really like that and how you started doing it for yourself and your motivation had changed. You mentioned the word a couple times, or I guess the phrase energetic imprints. And, and when I look at your, your bio, and how you talk that you're an energy healer. Can you expand on what, if these are related, what is energetic imprints and how does an energy healer come into play with, with money and the story you're talking about? And you are the first energetic healer that I've had on the podcast. So I'm certainly curious to hear about it. Oh, thank you so much. And I feel very honored to be the first one. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty more coming after me. Quantum physics teaches us that everything's energy, right? So everything is energy, which means you and I are just bundles of energy. And depending on how dense the energy is, we're seeing each other as its physical form. But in, in essence, you know, if you strip us down to the core elements, we're just atoms and neutrons and you know and so forth. So there's just it's all energy. If that's the case. You need to understand that everything that happens through every memory, every kind of experience is nothing more than an energetic imprint, which is something that, and when I say imprint, when you have an experience, which is a trauma or, or at the time, sometimes it's subconscious, especially if you're under the age of seven, what your parents go through, you take on their experiences as yourselves. It becomes an imprint, it's, it's sort of locked into your energy field and you walk around with that. So you have these adults walking around with their childhood traumas because those energetic imprints are sort of stuck in their energy field. What an energy healer would do is identify those energetic imprints and remove them and replace it with positive energy. For example, you know, if your, if your father was used to getting um, really angry and was temperamental and you know, was very abusive, you would have the energetic imprint of the divine masculine in a very angry, awful form. So you can either do two things. You can either become a very weak person or you become a very masculine, very, you know, similar. You become very, very angry as well. And you, you sort of reflect that. Now, 
in order for you to come out of that and have a healthy relationship, not just with other people, but with your romantic partner and with your children and even with yourself, you have to deal with that trauma as a child. That trauma is sitting in your energy field as an energetic imprint. This is what we mean. What an energy healer would do in, in layman terms is like opening up your energy field, picking out the energy, scooping up the energy of this trauma, taking it away and replacing it with positive, you know, high vibration energy. So for example, instead of you feeling angry, this is where, you know, there's a number of methodologies, a number of modalities you can use for this. My two favorite one are energy clearings and a rewriting story. So what I would do in such scenarios, I would get you to rewrite your story. So write out your story as how it was your father doing X, Y, and Z and how in like bringing all the emotions to the surface. So we literally, as I call this, stirring the pot. You bring all these emotions to the surface and you, you sort of deal with, um, you know, you write that out on a piece of paper and that's very important. And then you would burn that story. That's you visualizing that you are now taking this energy and you're burning it and you're giving it to ethers of the universe. The second step is rewriting that story. So you would now write a story where your father is amazing, he's loving, he's caring, he's supportive, he turns up to all your sports um, events, school things and everything else and school reports, and he's there, he's got your back. So you rewrite the story of the father how you want him to be. Now people say, oh, but isn't that a lie? No, it's not. We are aware of the fact that he wasn't there. We just want our, our energetic imprint to be neutralized with the negativity. So we're putting in the positive energy, we put that in. So we do that one way. And the second more important way is through energy clearing. So with energy clearing, the strategy I've just given you is, is, is quite powerful, but it would do, it would take you a long time. It would be, it would, but it takes a long time. And that's what a lot of people don't succeed with it. Combined with this energy clearing, which basically means you've already cleared some energy by rewriting your story. An energy healer would come in, see all the trauma, take all the trauma energetically, replace it with love, affection, compassion, and all those positive energies and you walk away with, you know, so you're, you think of, instead of thinking your father again, angry and being annoyed and, and all those horrible memories come to the surface, you start seeing him in his human form. The fact that that was his ego self, his higher self is amazing. His lower self was behaving in such a manner. And so you are able to forgive him. And as soon as you forgive him, you've neutralized the negative energy. And this is why it, um, an energy healer works so powerfully. Now, not only have we neutralized it, we've replaced it with love, compassion, understanding, and all those high vibrational energies, which by the way, high vibrational energies can overtake thousands of negative vibrations and vibrational energy. This is why you can go and do energetic work on people and remove years and years and 20, 30, 40 years worth of negativity in a short period of time because positive vibration is high vibration and you need less of it. A few days work of energetic work would, you know, take care of years of negative, um, uh, negative energy, negative emotions and negativity that's trapped in the energy field. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Very well articulated. Well, I, I did read that you became a lawyer because you felt like you were articulate. So I, I see that in, in action. <laughs> it makes me think a lot of, I guess, the theory behind something like CBT theory, where you're, you're getting to the beliefs that are yeah. driving your your actions and emotions. However, I can really feel that there's a, an element of something that feels a little tangible, even though I can't see this energy, but just the way you're you're explaining that, I can actually, I felt like inside my body that <laughs> I could almost sense the energy, to use your words, that was inside of me. And I think it's really, really interesting. And I want to go back to that, the rewriting your story We've had a, uh, a narrative psychologist come on and we talked about writing money scripts from a, like a narrative psychology perspective. But this, this act of 
stirring the pot, which I really thought was a great word, writing out that story and then burning it, I think is just to go back to what we opened up talking about is when you transferred that validation outsourcing from your father to, to then seeing yourself, I feel like that act of burning the story must be almost acting as permission to then let that story go. And I want to see your, your experience with that then. Maybe even with your father or one of your, or your husbands, can you speak to your personal experience with burning the story? I think, yeah, I mean, both of them, but I'll use the, um, I'll use the scenario with my ex-husband. So because my father's passed away now, so it's a bit more difficult to, you know, really illustrate with my ex-husband, which I don't call him ex-husband, I call him my children's father for this reason. Cause I think ex-husband has a very negative energy associated with it. So I call him my, my children's father because that's what he is now for me. And with him, I had to let go of his betrayal because the betrayal was intense. Now I look back at the whole scenario that happened within the way I him red-handed and and the way he said to me I don't want to leave you either and it, was, it, it's, it now looks funny to me something out of a comedy series or something out of a, a you know actually a funny that I always say this there was a song that came out years ago by by Shaggy something and he said it wasn't me and it was a guy <laughs> saying you know I, I caught him on the he should call me on the bathroom floor or something yeah. I didn't realize I gave her the key something like that and he goes it wasn't me it wasn't me that's the kind of thing that my ex me you know, well, would say I see that that sort of song plays in my head and I find that's really funny and I find it really amusing the whole situation Yet I can promise you, sure, the whole situation wasn't funny for me at the time. When I caught him red-handed, I heard about the affair. I just thought it was texting. I didn't know anything, anything more and whatever else. And I was foolish, foolish enough to believe it. Then I, I realized the extent of it, the, the time had gone and the, the previous ones and all the other things, scenarios came into place. And I, I realized how much a fool I was made over the course of the years. As funny as I find the situation now, at that time, I was literally not sleeping. I didn't sleep for two nights, for two months. I was crying the whole night. During the day, my children were only five and the nine. So I made sure that I was, you know, they had mommy and I wasn't crying in front of them. And it was such a horrible situation. And that is when I had to work on myself. So first of all, I had to get to a place where I was able to forgive. So I remember asking Dubai Sanjay for help. He helped me to help me, tell me how I could forgive him. Tell me to forgive me, help me to forgive him. So I, you have to get to a place where you're able to even think about forgiving someone. I wasn't in that frame of mind. So the first couple of months when I was crying out every single night, I was asking Dubai Sanjay to help me, help me, help me to forgive this man. I know I need to forgive him, but I don't know how. Please help me, please help me, please help me. And I not once did I ask a bad thing to happen. And I remember specifically said, I don't want bad things to happen to him. Like good things happen to me and let me forgive him. So when my mind, my frame of mind got to the point where I was able to think about forgiving, the first thing I did was sit down and write out everything that I found out. It was horrendous and everything else and all the emotions and everything else came to pass. And you don't hold yourself back. I don't swear much. It's not something in, in, my, in my, my normal vocabulary. But I swore and I did everything and I cursed and I did. And I let my, all my emotions, you know, I, I let them loose. And this is really, really important. When you are doing this exercise, you have to be truthful to yourself. A lot of the time, especially, I don't know about you, but in the UK, as English people, we learn to suppress our emotions. We're not supposed to feel our emotions. We know we brush them under the carpet and ignore them. The whole purpose of this exercise is we are stirring the pot. We need to bring these emotions to surface and you want to get rid of the dirt. If the dirt is right at the bottom, it's very difficult to clean the lake. If you bring the dirt to the surface, you can sweep it off and clean it. This is the purpose of this rewriting your story. So we did that. I remember writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. Once I felt like I had enough, I felt like everything I wanted to say to him or to Devices Energy, I had written on his paper, I burnt it. 
and I have this 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 strategy when I when I burn. It's like giving away to the ethos of the universe. I've done this. I've given it away. The burden's now with you. It's no longer with me. So I get my clients to visualize it in a way that when you see the paper burning, you see it go from you know the normal yellow, um, you know, orange, um, you know, into amber green sort of flames. And as you can imagine, when turning into amber green, it's almost like okay, I'm done with this. This story is no longer mine. It's no longer part of me. Then you work on the next part. So once I'd forgiven or tried in the first part of forgiveness, the next thing was I did both. So for myself, I did the energy clearing. So I would, I would walk around, do the energy clearing for him, uh, on myself to cleanse him and, and forgive him. And at the same time, every night I would write out a story where he was an amazing man. He was an amazing father and he, he treated me really kindly. And we just grew apart. We moved our separate ways. It's best for him. And I made the decision that it's better for, uh, for us to go separate ways because I wasn't interested, which is truth again, by the way, I, I, I think I never fell in love with him because he never allowed me to. The abuse was, you know, happened from the beginning. It took me 14 days to actually literally forgive him. I remember my father speaking to me at the time and he said, how can you forgive him so quickly? And I'm like, dad, if I don't forgive him, I'm not going to be able to move ahead. And I know for a fact, and this is one of the things I say quite a bit, forgiveness is the path to prosperity. If I want to move ahead, if I want to make money, if I want to create a lifestyle for my kids and give them a good, you know, good life, I have to forgive them. I have to forgive all these people. And I have to forgive my, you know, my, you know, him and along with all every people, everybody else. And there's a whole shenanigan about, you know, the, the kind of dramas he played out because he was right. So it's a story from Bollywood. I should actually write the story out. <laughs> yeah. told. It's it's a, it's a saga. It's quite funny what's happened and, and everything else and all the twists and turns. And there I am as a bison thinking, what the hell did I go to? It's like I moved in um, marriage into Twilight Zone. I swear it was. It just felt like I was just looking at thinking, is this for real? <laughs> as they say, you know, as you know, they do say reality is stranger than fiction. But it, as it was in my case, I mean, I had to forgive him and everyone else involved because I had to move on. And I say this, I can stand here and um, and be so proud of myself because this was in 2016. This ex I've just described to you, I did it in the end of 2016. In 2017, I started my business and that's when I went through and I realized all my blocks. To the, towards the end of 2017 is when I got my first client. From then up until now, I now have multiple businesses, two of them are seven figures. And I'm, you know, I, my kids are back in private school and everything's working out and I've got amazing podcasts and everything else is working out for me really, really well. None of that would have happened had I not done that exercise then. That was the pivotal moment for me to get myself empowered and go away from being someone who was victim or someone who things were happening to, to someone who's going to make things happen. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I can hear the conviction and power in your voice and your tone. And when you said proud, proud of yourself, it felt like a flexion in your tone really went up. And looking at your story, there's a lot to be proud of. And it's so interesting the way you talk about forgiveness. Because I think often when we're, because we're talking around the idea of money stories in our previous childhood mem memories, how they impact all of us. But we have these lingering things to, to your point of how we re recreate them. But that forgiveness seems so key to you and many other people, whether even it's forgiving ourselves, but it, I feel like it removes those psychological barriers that prevent us from doing whatever it is, because we're telling ourselves these, I guess, limiting beliefs. So I just really appreciate your your story of stirring the pot burning the burning the paper as i feel like it it allows us to have that acceptance and move forward and focus on on you exactly i heard you on a podcast talk about this idea of limiting beliefs and use the analogy of an elephant in a rope 
I was hoping you could talk about this elephant and the rope because I thought it was a really good way to kind of do a visual to this idea of our our limiting beliefs and especially in and around money and what money serves to us in our relationship with it. Oh, it's a great, and I love that story because it illustrates the, the idea of limited beliefs so, so well. The thing is, we don't even know we have limiting beliefs. We have these paradigms we are not aware of. There's such things limiting beliefs. And when those limiting beliefs become paradigms, we don't even question them. We don't know they're a limiting belief. For example, you might, it takes money to make money. That's a paradigm for most people. They don't even question it. Of course it does. Of course it takes money to make money. Uh, no, it doesn't. And we have a million examples of it when it doesn't. You just need an idea and, you know, and you need the right people or whatever else. But average person is like, no, you need money to make money. Right. So there are, we have these, Energy, again, going back to the idea, we have these um, limiting beliefs given to us by our primary caregivers between the ages of zero to seven. And it's not just beliefs about money. It's beliefs about who you are, what you are, what you're capable of, the way you dress, the way you eat, the kind of food you will eat, the kind of life you will have, the kind of money you will make, the kind of a person you will marry, everything. We are given these beliefs about that our entire life during this zero to seven um, time period. Now, 80% is done then for my, for my research or from the work I've done with people. And I find that some, it comes in, there's some elements of change in your in early teens and late, you know, and late teens and early adolescence. By the time you're early twenties, you're done. Halas, that's it. You are, it's like your computer, you know, your, your mind or computer is now fixed as it is. Unless you do inner work, nothing's going to change. Now, what we find people don't realize is in the early twenties, it's almost like they're given the freedom, that rope. If you imagine the, the rope song, you are given the freedom to go, go do what you want to do, go and have it. And come late 20s to early 40s, there's always, usually in the mid, mid 30s, is usually the average, but it's late, late 20s to early 40s, when you get the snap back, the rope is pulling, uh, uh, dude, come back here. You need to be here. You're, stu- you're trapped to this, you know, to this, this pole and you can't leave. And you feel trapped. Now, why is that? So if we go back to the story of the elephant and the rope, I think you, you might be able to understand that. Too. So the story is as follows. In these Indian tribes, what they do, is to take elephants at a very young age when they're very, very small and they're very impressionable. They, they bring them and they put tie a rope to their feet and they put a pole next to it. Now, at that tender young age, when that poor little baby elephant's trying to pull away, it gets pulled back and the snapback keeps happening again and again and again. So the, the limiting belief that's installed in a baby elephant's mind is, I can't pull away. I can't pull away. This rope is too tight. It's too strong for me. I can't pull away. Now, keep that in mind as a child, if your parents don't have money or if your parents have certain things about money, you understand, oh, we can't, people like us live like this. People like us, we don't get, you know, I can't buy the Nintendo like everybody else because we don't have enough money for the electricity bill or daddy is always angry, men are always angry, you know, mom's always gossiping, so women always gossip. You know, those things, we take on those imprints in our minds and those become our norms. There's nothing outside of it. This baby elephant grows up with the belief, I can't pull away from this rope because it's too strong for me. At some point, and it doesn't take that long, by the way, at some point, the elephant outgrows the, 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 the pole and the rope. Now, all the elephant needs to do is just lift his leg and the rope's gone. Forget the rope. It's going to pull the, the, the pole with it. However, all the adult elephants don't even flinch. They don't go anywhere. They, they, they don't go to the str- to stretch the rope. They go as far as they're used to when there's a baby and they don't go any further. Why? Because in their mind, the rope is stronger. Having no idea of the strength that's in their one leg, let alone the entire body, to be able to change the, you know, and, um, you know, the whole situation and leave the village and do whatever. 
this is who we are. We forget who we are. We are creative beings in a body. We have so much power available to us, even as children, but as children, it's limited because we are, we're stuck in the, with the adult situation, our parents, the way they behave with us and so many, so many different scenarios. But as adults, we have the freedom, especially if you're living in a, in a, in a developed country without the, of course, there's a provisor here. If you've got war, nothing goes on. It's a different story. But in your in your situation, in my situation, in a normal, comfortable, um, developed world, or even developing world where there's no element of war, you have the freedom of choice. You can do anything. You can have anything. You can create anything. Yet we are saying the living belief: I can only make money with my nine to five. I can only do this. Um, people like me only earn this much. Okay, if I can make money, it has to be at some level. I have to work eighty hours a week to make 30,000. It's those beliefs. Now, you don't even know they're your limiting beliefs because they are part of your paradigm. The poor elephant has no clue that it's trapped to a rope that can be picked up in two seconds. It thinks that it's reality. It has no other choice. And this is what we have to change. And it illustrates beautifully that if when people become aware and someone comes up and tells you, dude, do you realize you can just pick up your lift and fit and forget the rope. You'll take the rope with you. You'll have that problem as well. That's like me coming to you and say, Sean, do you realize you're a creator being in a body? You know, you can create anything and, you know, you can actually set a goal in motion and hold the belief into it, remove the limiting beliefs which hold you back, which makes you think you can't do it. For example, making a million a month and you can actually you know, attract you opportunities, people, circumstances. Of course, it won't be what you're doing in the moment. If you're not making a million a month at the moment, you have to do something different. But the resources, the people, the situation, everything that you need to make a million a month will be brought to you and you can make it happen. It won't happen tomorrow. It may take three months. It may take three years, but it will happen. You've got the power. And that's where you say, uh, no, I don't think so. I know what you mean. I know what you say, but I'm not Elon Musk, right? I know Jeff Bezos. There was lucky people having, you know, people like you and me, well, we don't do this. You know, we, you know, we're lucky to make 10K a month. Even that is different because you know that, you know, the average wage is 2000. Can you see where I'm going with this? Right. We are so engrossed and so devoted to our paradigms. We don't want to leave them. And I know, no, no, I don't want to think about that. That's just silliness. That's stupidness. I can't think like that. And this is what we have to break free from. But the condition here is for you to recognize that you have a paradigm that you're living with. And we all have our paradigms. And by the way, every time you up level, you have to break through those paradigms again, because every time you get to new income level, you form new paradigms. Okay, so this is what I do. And that's the kind of money I make. Yeah, no, thank you. And I, I really like that analogy with the elephant and the rope. And it's amazing how we're all programmed, like to use the words you keep saying is paradigm that we have around money and a relationship with money and, and how you spoke to these scripts of, oh, money's only for rich people, or rich people are bad, or I'll never, ever have money. And, and not saying the end goal is to make a ton of money, but I think the end goal is to have contentment or peace with that relationship with money. And yeah, I just really think that this analogy is so good because if we don't have the curiosity to seek to understand our paradigm, we'll never ever break free of that, that rope. So it's clear that you are questioning your rope, like you said, at different periods of your life. Now it's not you just... You have to, yes. Because we talked about our paradigms and they come back and repeat us. As somebody who was really driven, perhaps from a dysfunctional perspective, like to prove your father and acceptance, because we always are reliving our stories, how do you balance having that drive and that success and rewriting your story, but also recognizing maybe that old story wants to come back into play? And how do you recognize if it's coming in more than it should be? That's a great question. So first of all, once you rewrite your story, 
Most of it's gone. Yes, there'll be different layers of this. Remember, we're not one or two dimensional people. We have, we're like onions. There's layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. So you play in, you take out the top layer and you feel, oh, I energize. Like, oh, I'm so great. I feel so free now. I'm going to go ahead. And you realize if you bring back the analogy of the rope again, once you break through the top rope, there's a rope underneath it. And you don't realize it until, you know, you've, you've been, you've been at the new level for a bit while and you, the new rope surface is like, oh, hi, and they're here as well. So it's then you layer, you have to clear. So it's accepting the idea that we are, you know, remember we, I'm in my early forties. It's not a two or three year worth of beliefs or energy, energies and every experience you have is an energetic imprint. So it's not two or three three years energetic imprint that I'm going to clear, it's going to be years and years. Yes, it's very powerful and it can get done and we can remove a lot, remove a lot. But every time I want to up level, I'm going to have to revisit and see, okay, what are the fears are here coming up? Because it's fears combined with limiting beliefs. So it's your limiting beliefs which give rise to the fears. Keep that in mind. So if I have a fear about, okay, so I, I can make, okay, so 10K is normal for me now. I'm, I can make, and I'm close to making 100K consistently. So I'm making seven figures on your basis. That's great. If I now want to make seven figures on a monthly basis, why am I afraid? There's a fear that comes up. Okay, then you have to unpack it. Okay, where is this fear coming from? Is it coming from self-worth? Is it coming again from the idea that I wasn't good enough as a, as a daughter? Is it coming from the idea that I'm a woman? Remember, we are multidimensional beings. We have different uh, aspects too. In my culture, unfortunately, um, you know, uh, not religiously, I want to make this very, very clear, not religiously, but culturally, unfortunately, men are superior to women. And so, you know, is it because I have bought into the subconscious idea that men are superior to women and therefore I should not make as much money as, as a man? And therefore, if I am making as much money as, as, because I make more money than most of men in my family, older men in my family. So if I'm doing that, somehow I should, you know, burden myself with ill health or I self-sabotage some other area just to justify the fact that if I'm making money, I've got something else wrong with my life. And to, you know, so this is where you have to unpack have to see not just the idea that energy taking prints that you're aware of you have to go back and see okay i've got a fear around this why where is it coming from it's not coming from my logical mind i know i'm amazing i'm really cool i can do this if i can do this i can do this what's stopping me or if i'm holding myself back remember you're only you hold yourself back you know the universe doesn't it gives you all the support you need if i'm holding myself back what is it what actually is it what am i afraid of and be honest with yourself i think we as once we achieve something i'm like i've done this i'm, I'm, I'm i mean i've done this this is something i share quite a lot in my podcast and i'm very vulnerable very very vulnerable on purpose people should see me yes i'm successful by most people's standards now and i have a very high income by most people's standards yet i am still work in progress i have so many things to learn i'm always learning new things about myself i still get triggered i still have to cut cords i still have to work at it and I you know, my children father he's the one who triggers me the most I think usually not really to me this is something to do with the children he lets them down and that, that bugs me again why does it bug me because I never grew up with a father so I desperately wanted my kids to have a father so when he doesn't live up to the kind of level of father that I want for my children he triggers me again so I've unpacked it I've un unraveled it and this is a constant working progress Sean if you think I'm done I'm amazing I've, I've arrived you have failed already you I need to understand and the more we learn, the more we realize how much we have to learn. And the more you unpack and you unravel and you, you know, you sort of, you know, you work on yourself and you think, okay, I've got this to do. Let me work through that. And you up level. So every time you do inner work, you will up level. You up level. You got to, and it's all about, and you mentioned before, it's not just about the money. 
I think money is amazing. I think there's nothing wrong with having a financial goals. And I struggle with that because for me, like as mentioned off camera, it's all about the cars, dude. I love my cars. <laughs> uh, and and I, when I get to a certain level, I know I will have a, like a string of uh, vintage cars, really sports cars in my driveway. That's probably the only thing I will have apart from the jewelry because I'm not into jewelry and anything else. Um, but there's nothing wrong with having them as goals because those are your physical desires in this physical world. Remember, we are physical beings having a physical experience. If all you want is to do is spirituality and you, all you have to do is live in the spiritual world, why bother coming into the physical world and have a 3D body in the first place? Why bother, right? We are here and the only way we can experience fully this physical 3D world is through material things, which includes cars, homes, you know, good food, good sex, good holidays, everything, the whole shebang. Not just having, you know, your, your body is, is this is in Islam as well, in my religion, your body has a right of you, which means, which means rest, which means sex, which means good food, which means all those things. Why should I deprive myself because I'm trying to be spiritual? I'm depriving myself, that means I'm not spiritual. So you should enjoy the physical world too. However, it's a means to an end. The only way I can have that string of vintage cars outside my house at one point is for me to grow as a person, for me to grow and learn and develop. And when I do that, I will provide a service. I will provide solution to people's problems, which means I'm serving the humanity and serving them at a larger scale. As Zig Ziglar said, you know, find, uh, you know, find ways to help people's problems. The more people you help, the more money you make. So it's a win-win situation. I'm going to provide solutions to certain people so that they love me and they give me money so I can buy my vintage cars. We win, they win, everybody wins. And in the process, I get to grow. This is the key. The key is growth. I always say, and I'm having a discussion early this morning with somebody about desire. Your desire that you have is given to you by God. Your desire is God speaking through you because when you have a desire, you have a goal. Okay, I want to get that BMW or, or in my case, it's a Bentley. I want to get that ben, uh, Bentley and I want to do it you know, in the next, I don't know, two years. In order for me to get the Bentley, I need to get my income level at this level. In order for my income level to get there, I have to help 100 people achieve their goals. Can you see how this all comes in? Mm -hmm. It's about serving the humanity, the greater good. Yet I have my own materialistic, because why not? I've only got 20, 30, 40 years left on the planet. Why should I enjoy it? Why should I go to my grave thinking, oh, I wish I drove a Bentley? Why not go for a Bentley? Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. And you see or hear so much clarity in your self-awareness. And I think it goes back to that idea of you're driven now by internal motivations and your determination. And yes, you said you're wise, your kids, but you've got a lot of internally created self-determination that's creating you to aspire towards these goals. I had a, a gentleman named uh, Dr. James Audison. He's a philosopher around money. And he talks about this idea of like extraction versus uh, zero sum. So extractions when perhaps maybe you didn't do the work that you've done around building awareness and you're still seeking that approval from your, your father and you went out to make money in any way possible. You extracted from the economy. You took things out versus zero sum is I give you something, you give me something. Now we're at zero sum. I think it is more than that. I think that you need to have the intention. So my intention is whatever, and I do, people come to work with me on my high end. I would say the wonderful work shall we do. I do a purposely do a very low end, which is about 27 pounds, but 37 bucks is nothing at all. My high end is, it does require um, an, an investment of time and money. But my intention is you are going to get 10 times back. So I would go further than that. Instead of going for the zero sum, I give you something, you have something back. 
I say, whatever I give to you, whatever you give to me, I want to make sure I give 10 times back. You should be able to get 10 times in value back. And if you don't, there's something wrong with me and I'm not doing enough. So I, I go out of my way to make sure that you receive, you receive 10 times value back. Now, you may not be able to receive it because of your own blocks, whatever. It does not mean that I haven't tried and I haven't given. But the, I, I never think of, you know, give it in equal basis. I think I need to be offer you more. I need to do more. I need to give you more. And then you are so happy giving it to me. Oh, God, it's so amazing. She helps me so much. I'm happy giving. And that creates great karma, great energy, and what I call high vibrational money. So when you give me the money, you're so happy giving it to me. I'm so happy receiving it. That's high vibrational money, which creates abundance, not just in the bank account, but in your health and in your relationships and in overall abundance. Mm-hmm. I, I really, really like that explanation because I know there's someone who I work with and for about five years now, and I enjoy paying his invoice because <laughs> I really get the value out of what, what he's providing. We talked a lot about our past and working through the psychological beliefs and barriers and burning them and moving forward. In your book, you talk about this idea of a money avatar. Perhaps is it something that we can envision in the future or is that a money avatar that we have right now? What is a money avatar? And can you explain the benefits of having this money avatar? Oh, my favorite topic. So as much as I talk about money and, and I love money and I always say I love and I respect money, when I was first starting out, I had a real difficulty with envisaging money. I mean, money in paper form, it does nothing to me. Money in gold, I'm not into jewelry, so in gold or silver or jewels, it has nothing for me. I'm just looking at like rocks and stones. I'm like, okay, what do I do with you, dude? So that's when the idea came, okay, so everything's energy, right? Everything's energy, which means money is energy. And for me to connect with money, and I also wanted people, for myself, but also for people to get a concept where they are no longer greedy, needy for money, they treat money with the love and respect it deserves. Because money deserves love and respect. It does not deserve your neediness, your greediness, your eagerness. It doesn't, okay? So I thought, well, what's the best way for me to do that? And I thought, okay, well, if money was my best friend, so how would I treat money? How can money be my best friend? So this is where the idea of personification came in. I thought, well, if I personified money and I made it into my best friend, then I'll be able to envisage talking and discussing and having a relationship with money in a way that's unique and in a way that allows me to have that love and respect without the neediness, without the cursing. Because remember, most of the time people are cursing money without even realizing it. It's never there. So they, they, say, oh, they blame money for everything and all sorts of stuff. And that's where initially it was born out from. So your money avatar basically is your personification of money. And you start off by thinking, okay, so if I had an imaginary best friend, what would they look like? For me, it's a girl. And for me, it's Michelle. The name's Michelle. Okay, what does she look like? How old is she? And for me, Michelle is, um, you know, 2.0 version of me. She's sexy. She's sassy. She's witty. She's funny. She's quirky. And she's also a bit dumb. Okay, so I do really dumb things. And like, I, I don't, I have no desire to be called intelligent. I, I do dumb bimbo things. Fine. And, and mine does that. My Michelle does it too. But the idea is she's super, super smart and she gives me great advice. And she's always supportive and she's always got my back. She's someone who comes before I know I need it. Whenever I'm upset, she comes knocking the door. Dude, go, what's going on? Let's go for a coffee. Let's go and have a, a cup of tea together. She's always around. She's always supporting me. And she's always here. Now, there's an ebb and flow of money. Money will always stay with you. Keep that in mind. So my best friend doesn't live with me. She comes and goes, but she's always got my back. She's always on the phone. And if I need her, she's here before I know I need her. And she's always got my back. This is the kind of relationship you want in the money. Now, 
because she's my friend, I'm not going to lock in a room and throw her the key. Like, no, don't leave me. Don't leave me, Michelle. That's not going to work. Your best friend, you use as your best friend. You're, you're using your best friend. She's jumping out the window and then we come back. So with Michelle, my best friend, I allow her to come and go ebb and flow of money. I always know I'm going to miss you, Michelle, when you go, but it's okay. I know you'll I'll see you tomorrow anyway. Fine. She comes back tomorrow if I need it. Or she comes back a week later based on whatever she needs to do. But remember, money has to, this has to be flow of money, right? Something concept I learned from Bob Proctor years ago, money has to flow. It cannot stay in one place. So does Michelle. Michelle doesn't like in place. She likes to travel. She likes to go away, go away. But she comes back when I need it or before I know I need it. And she's always got my back. This is what you need to do. So you create an idea of your best friend, age, appearance, pretty much like you who create your ideal uh, client avatar. But you have all the characteristics, ethnic background, education background, literally as much as you can. Now, the conditions here are, it cannot be someone you know, it cannot be someone from the celebrity, and it cannot be a family member either. Reason being, we have energetic imprints or chords with celebrities because we perceive them to be a certain way. We have energetic chords with members of our family and we have energetic chords with people we know. Okay, all of them. So every time you have your emotions within these people, it will be imprinted on your relationship with money. This is why we say no. Yes, you can get inspiration from the internet. So for example, I mean, for me, it was very easy to visualize because I'm good with the visualization. But you can take inspiration from the internet, like see somebody, you know, okay, I want a best friend who looks like Mike. So what does Mike look like? He's got curly hair. He's got, you know, olive skin, blah, blah, blah. You can take that from, you know, from the internet. Inspiration. But no one in the, on the net, no one you know, no celebrity can, can be your, your um, money avatar. Your money avatar has to have a clean, energetic slate so that you have built it up. And yes, the, you will come with some notions of it. So for example, when you first meet a money avatar, this by, I talk extensively through in my, my workshop called Abundance Mindset Maker Workshop. On day four, we actually go through this creating your money avatar. Uh, we go through the abundance breath and we go and create your money avatar. For this reason, I talk you through, okay, now what does the hair look like? What, and, and we also give them the name. So my name is Michelle. We give them a name and we personify them as much as possible so that when he and when she and I speak I'm speaking to a person in my mind now you may think oh well isn't that just talking to your imaginary friend what's wrong with that remember when you were kids we had imaginary friends yeah. and they were the most amazing people ever yeah. why not imagination is your powerhouse and we it's such a powerful tool being given use it so in you know and I, there is a way that I, I teach you to do it which is connect to the life from above and below so we we lower our brain waves to alpha brain waves we get in a calm a meditative state and then we have conversations with with the, with your money avatar and what you find is as you develop your relationship with the money avatar you will start opening up your inspiration your your connection with your money avatar so you will start hearing or listening or feeling about ideas you can ask them um, what do you think of this situation what do you think of that situation i ask michelle all the time and she half the time she thinks i'm being crazy like what the hell's wrong with you know but other times she says yeah it's risky let's go for it let's go so my you know michelle for me is she's like me very risky she tends she likes to take risk what can you do she's an adrenaline adrenaline junkie but the point is it's my relationship with money. And if you see how, how I've described to her, I have no way in my tone, no way in my energy would you see any neediness, any greediness for money. I have love and respect for her. And I give her the full freedom, go where you need to do, but make sure you come back when I need you to do it. That's what you mean to do. You know, I'll be there for you. And if someone ever talks derogatively about money, I'm always jumping the gun, like, hang on a minute. Why? Why? Money doesn't do that. Because you would. You would defend your best friend. And if you catch yourself saying something derogative about money, like, oh, no, Michelle's not like that. No, that would be silly, okay? 
you stop yourself from saying derogative, negative, emo- emotional uh, things about money too. And I always say, I, I used to be an advocate. I'm still an advocate, but now I'm an advocate for money. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I am now. But, but in short, this is what a money amateur does. Now, the, the beauty of this is it will slowly, over a period of time, especially if you have regular conversations with your money amateur, change your perception about money, change your relation money, and it will actually make money your best friend. I really, really like that. I feel that many people, when they hear that, they would realize that their money would not be their friend with the way they talk to money right now or or handle it, avoid it, shame it, make it feel guilty, uh, abuse it or reckless. And to have this personification of money, I think really, really helps to what almost like exposure therapy where to your point, you're, you're having positive conversations. You're having these healthy productive conversations that I can see how it rewire your relationship with money. And and the way you explain it flowing with money really makes me think of like the root word of money and in currency and how currency is a current of electricity and it's just meant to flow. And too often we don't let that money flow. We guard it and yeah, we hold it really tight. And I feel like I just met Michelle, but I don't think she would like that. The final question I ask everyone, if you can imagine whatever your age is at end of life, And you came across this quote from Dr. Paul Wong that said, the worst fear is not death, but the discovery that we have never really lived when our time comes to die. If you had that quote in mind and decided to write your children's children a letter about what you learned with your relationship with Michelle, what would the theme of that letter be? I think the theme of the letter would be, let go of fear and lean into faith in anything. Wow. So, you know, you, you, you have to lean into faith when it comes to what's possible for you, what you want to achieve, but not just that, how to experience life. You know, if you want to go to Mount Everest, go to Mount Everest. My brother has decided, and by the way, he's a computer scientist. He's decided he's now going to become a travel blogger. He's going to sell everything, get a, get a bike, and he is going to travel the world on his bike. And he's even going to get the, the large ones. He can even go up the mountains and whatever else. And I'm thinking, okay, fine. And unlike other sisters, I really encourage that. You know what? I said, you're, look, you're in your mid-40s. You need to live, like you only live once. Go for it, dude, right? You've got enough money, go for it. You know, do it for a year. If you can make money out of it by having a YouTube channel, great, because he wants to do it from his, you know, with his with cameras on his bike and whatever else. I said, go for it. It doesn't matter whether you monetize it or not. It's about living. It's about giving away that faith, you know, the idea that you have to have, you know, materialistic goals or whatever else. Yes, I always encourage about, you know, make saving and I have those strategies in place. But the most important thing you need to do is live and choose to live and what you want to do. And so one thing I would definitely tell my grandchildren or great-grandchildren would be just lean into faith, you know, and let go of fear. And whatever scares you, do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do it. And, and absolutely, you know, have a go. Because the only way to let go of the fear is to face the fear in the face. Wow. Thank you. I'm glad we recorded that. Thank you. Well, Gull, thank you so much for joining me. I really, really enjoyed this conversation and I am confident everyone listening will feel you exude happiness too. So I appreciate that. Where can people find more about you, your book, your website? Where would you point people to? 
So my book is on Amazon. We do a seller as well, but I'd rather you just go to Amazon if you give some good rate rankings. So haha, transparency there. So go to um, Amazon and look for Laws of Money by Gul Khan. And you'll find us there. We're both an ebook and we're currently just ebook and paperback, but we are getting the audiobook in, in, in process as well. So hopefully that'll be up soon. And the best way, apart from, you know, if you want to listen to me more, then probably come over to my podcast, which is Money Mindset with Gul Khan. And where I go on about and have amazing guests and hopefully Sean's coming as a guest at some point as well. And we have amazing guests and I, I share my wisdom or my life. It seems it's now become my life blog on every Monday that I go and talk about my life lesson that I've learned or something new that I've learned. And I sort of talk about it on Monday. That's the one way. But if you actually want to learn any of the tools and techniques that teach, which I think, I think everyone here should. And I've made this uh, five day workshop. It's got it's under the URL www.abundancemindsetmakeover.com. We we run live workshops three four times during the day. Even if you go and join now, you can have access to B place. But every single day is a powerhouse. I, I tell you how to cut these etheric cords, which we, we've talked about. We didn't get to do too much detail about it, but you have to cut these etheric cords. I teach you how to do that. I give you simple initiative tools, and they are powerful and they're effective. I also talk to you through a different strategies about how managing your money. We talk about how to create your money avatar. And I also go through my energy queries, which again, when someone asks me what are energy queries, it's so it's some, it's one of those things you just have to experience. You cannot explain. When you go through one of my energy queries, the condition is if your energy resonates with mine, which in your, in your case, Sean, I'm sure you will. But for those people, you as long as your energy resonates with me, you will not find a more powerful energy healer for yourself. There are powerful energy healers out there. I'm not saying that. It's just if it resonates with my energy, then my energy clients will be the most powerful thing to experience. But you have to experience them. I can't articulate about it. I can't talk about it. But that's what you get. And that's for £27, which is like £37, bucks, like $37. So we've kept the price altered to low. Go and check it out and come to one of our next workshops. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. We'll include all those in the show notes. And I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Sean. It's been such a fun, it's been such a fun conversation. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Most Hated Effort podcast. I really enjoy having these conversations with wonderful people like Gull. If you have any suggestions or recommendations for future guests or themes that we should focus on, please send us an email. I'd love to hear from you. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you to you for listening. Until next week, have yourself a good one.